Hello, everybody. Thank you for so, so much for watching today. I um, This morning I was actually not going to stream today. We have a lot of stuff going on outside the house. But um, there were some comments and questions on one of the Discord channels. And I thought I would come on today for about 20 or 30 minutes and kind of show some of the the research or the content on that topic. So the last couple of, actually everything I've posted so far has been um, comments or reviews uh, on review articles. So they're publications that are themselves a review of the literature. So I think we did one on iron, chelates. Uh, we did one on fall applied in. And so today it's going to be on potassium. Um, we're going to try to get this done, you know, with some quickness, I hope, but um, certainly can't go over everything in potassium in a short time, but we're going to go over this one article. And then hopefully as we've been explaining, uh, we can, you know, use this to go find more information if you need to. So let's first start with where to go find this article. Uh, the article we're going to be talking about is this article, Potassium and Phosphorus Research in Turf Grass. This is actually a chapter in a book. It is a pretty good literature review on both these elements, potassium and phosphorus. We're just going to be talking about the section on potassium today. But how do you go find this? Where can you download it or how can you go find it? Well, if you go to Google and you, um, let me see if I can move this over a little bit here. Um, if you go to Google and you, <clears throat> you just type in potassium research, potassium research in turf grass. See what happens. So the first thing I'm finding, oh, look at that. It's one of my articles. <laughs> That's surprising. It actually shows up as a, one of my extension articles. Um, you can look through, let's see if we can even find it. Potassium and turf grass stress, potassium and plant stress. You're going to find a lot of this potassium and stress related uh, content. But when you look at the literature, we're going to have a different perspective on some of that stuff. Um, potassium fertilization affects winter disease and survivability. We'll actually go into a topic, a similar topic to that in a future video. Here we go right here. Potassium and phosphorus research in turf grass. So if you click on that, this, um, this chapter in a book will come up. I'm pretty sure that it's behind a paywall. Don't know. Let's click on it. See what it says. You can read the summary. Yeah. So it's going to be behind a paywall, but remember I've been explaining how to go find these. You can go to any university library, Chances are good you can download it from there. You can go to your public library um, and likely be able to download it from there. Or you can at least get the book on an interlibrary loan. Or you can simply join the American Society of Agronomy and you can download all this stuff at, for, at your heart's content. You can spend years downloading stuff and learning stuff just by joining the ASA. So 
Um, so this is how you would find it if you don't already have it. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. Let's get into it. Okay. So Kevin and Beth wrote this literature review and published it back in 2013. So it's right at 10 years and it's broken up with potassium. And then it goes through all the various components or various areas that they want to talk about. And then, and then later they talk about phosphorus. We're just going to be talking about potassium today, just like the last couple of publications or things that I've um, posted. I try to just highlight some of the key points, but because these are review articles, I end up highlighting practically the entire publication. Um, so I really encourage you to read through these and, you know, you might find information that's more interesting to you than what I'm going to cover, but I'm going to go over some of the key points. Okay. So the role of potassium and plant stress. So if you, if you're familiar with potassium and what it's sold as and how it's marketed is marketed as like the stress element is supposed to reduce all the risks and stress and so forth. There, there's a little bit of support to that. In general, I would say that in um, normal situations where soil potassium is high enough to provide the plant with the potassium that it requires or, or needs, the application of more potassium uh, rarely provides any beneficial response. That's kind of what you're going to find throughout all this stuff. But you'll find occasionally pieces that, that support the use of potassium for various functions, like in this case, drought stress. So... In this particular study by uh, Schmidt in 1981, says when potassium fertilizers were, were, was applied as potassium chloride at rates up to 348 kilograms per hectare per year, which if we remember, 49 kilograms per hectare is one pound. So two pounds is, let's just say, essentially 100. So two, four, six, seven. So if my math's correct, this is seven pounds of potassium per year Kentu to Kentucky bluegrass had lower water use at the high rates of potassium fertilization compared with no potassium. So in this particular study, they found that, um, the Kentucky bluegrass, uh, required or used less water when potassium was applied at these seven pound rate. The Kentucky bluegrass also recovered more quickly from drought when potassium fertilizer was present and the recovery was unaffected by nitrogen and phosphorus fertility levels. So here's a, uh, a study that shows that the use of potassium at these rates uh, had a beneficial response under drought conditions. Uh, let's continue. So increases in potassium fertility via more frequent applications enhance the leaf turgor of Kentucky blue and result a result of increased solutes in leaf tissue. As you go through here, you'll see that there's this, but this happens. Yes, this happened, but then it resulted in this. And this is some of the some of the ambiguity with potassium in the literature is that we don't see like nitrogen. You apply at this rate on this turf at this time, and you're going to see this result. You don't see that with potassium very frequently. So let's continue. However, concurrent increases in nitrogen promoted excess top growth of Kentucky bluegrass, which resulted which reduced the tissue solute concentration in the leaf and thus the leaf osmotic potential. So what that's saying is, is that the, um, the application of N increased the growth rate so much that it actually reduced the tissue solute concentrations. And you'll see that a lot in some of the other literature where you're wanting to use tissue concentrations of elements as a means to measure the, the health of the plant. Well, in the summertime, like, 
take Bermuda or St. Augustine grass or something in, in Florida, if you take, if you measure the, the leaf tissue concentration of many elements in the summer compared to the winter, you would think, well, in the summertime it's growing and you're fertilizing. So the tissue concentration is going to be higher. It may be, but oftentimes we see the opposite and the, and it's a dilution effect. Basically the tissue is growing so fast that it's diluting the concentration in the tissue. It doesn't mean the plant's not acceptable or healthy. It's growing fine in the summertime in, in that, in, in that condition. Um, but the, the dilution effect might trick you and think, yeah, well, my tissue and my tissue concentration is going down. So I got to apply more. No, it's just a natural effect that the plant's growing quicker and it's diluting the concentration in the tissue. So you got to be careful with that. All right, guys and girls. Um, Oh yeah, although so I was <laughs> I was just saying that the, the preamble that I'm going over this because of the stuff that happened in Discord earlier. So um, where were we at? Uh, others uh, others have observed similar nutrient interactions where potassium or phosphorus applied alone had no effect on evapotranspiration, regardless of the rate. So um, you'll find that frequently, especially in soil. Um, Soil concentrations of those elements are sufficient already. Applying more oftentimes does not result in a beneficial response. The routine rate, when routine rates, so just meaning normal rates of nitrogen and phosphorus were applied along with potassium, water use was minimized at high rates of potassium fertilization. So here's another piece of, of, the, of evidence. I don't know if this was Scott's study in 99, but um where you know it, it's possible to uh, reduce the water use uh, requirement of some turf grasses in some situations by using uh, or applying potassium but it needs to be in conjunction apparently with um, adequate levels of nnp applying it alone oftentimes is, is not sufficient when higher amounts of nitrogen and phosphorus were applied water use rose as the potassium rates rose so in other words so the, the need or the demand for water increased as the higher nitrogen was applied and the growth increased so um that's common what you see and when they apply a growth regulator um this was applied to creeping bent grass under drought stress greater accumulation of potassium and calcium was found in the tissue and bent grass treated with with this gross growth regulator then then those that did not receive the growth regulator. So again, we're compressing the leaf tissue using a growth regulator, which um, concomitantly or inversely um, compresses the concentration. In other words, so you may have the same amount in the tissue, but the tissue is compressed using a growth regulator and the concentration in that tissue increases as opposed to the opposite where you're growing fully, the, the, the cells are expanding, the cells are dividing. You'll see the concentration um, decrease in, in situations like that. So it's sometimes contrary to what you might think. Oh, it's growing fast. So the concentration must go up. No, that that's oftentimes isn't, is not what happens. You'll see some issues with, uh, or some research with heat and potassium. Um, I'm not going to go into it a whole lot. Um, but heat, you know, heat stress damaged the cellular membranes in both species, uh, where potassium concentrations were reduced in the Kentucky bluegrass. They were unaffected in the common Bermuda grass. Um, there's not a whole lot, as you can see, there's one paragraph on heat stress. The, let's see with the, so potassium concentration and cell sap rose during heat stress. This doesn't necessarily say the plant was 
greater quality or less susceptible to heat. It just they're just saying that the concentration went up uh, during periods of heat stress. I may have to pull that article and look into it further to see if there's any actual physiological benefit, like um, like you know turf quality or color or something like that, or resistance to some other stress, particularly heat, under those conditions. Um, here's a chapter or here's a paragraph on salinity. Salinity is a little bit funky. So, um, I'll let you guys read through this if you want to read through it, but under increasing salinity, nine ecotypes of seashore past palum, which varied substantially in salinity tolerance exhibited reduced uptake of potassium, calcium, magnesium with the last being most effective. So this isn't necessarily, this paragraph isn't necessarily looking at the influence of potassium and its ability to res to result in a resistance to, to salinity stress. This is just simply saying under conditions of salinity, the uptake of potassium was reduced. Okay. Um, shoot and root growth were positively correlated with potassium tissue con content. So, okay. So, and potassium was primarily, was the primary ion for solute potential adjustment. So, so this actually says shoot and root growth were positively correlated with potassium in the tissue content under these conditions. So this this is a piece of evidence showing that under salinity conditions in this particular study that the um, increased amount of tissue potassium was associated with an increased in shoot and root growth. Uh, so I don't know exactly the, the dynamic here, but I'm assuming that under conditions of salinity, you're dealing with competition with other cations and the and that that would likely result in uh potentially a reduction in the uptake of the cations you desire like calcium magnesium and potassium because you're flooding the system with other cations like sodium um you can read through there i don't want to spend a whole a lot of time on that one i want to get some other stuff there's quite a bit of i got to get to when the combined effects of mowing height and salinity were evaluating cranberries, the potassium level in the shoot dropped as the salinity rose and this effect was most severe in the lowest cutting height. So, um, and it says the reduced uptake of potassium with increase in soil salinity is common finding. So in the addition of humic acid to creeping bent grass did not alleviate the effect. So I like that addition. <laughs> this is a chapter on, on potassium and they put a little blurb in there about humic acid. So the idea of this humic acid, you're going to apply the humic acid and somehow alleviate the, the salt problems or increase potassium. They didn't find that in this, uh, 2002 paper. Okay, so this is one thing, the, the cold tolerance and winter kill, this came up on a little chat earlier this morning, so I wanted to make sure we go over this. There is clearly, or there are clearly cases where the application of potassium can enhance winter tolerance or, drought, or uh, uh, low temperature tolerance, freeze tolerance. But there's also cases where it does nothing. And so, you know, we don't have enough knowledge in this particular area to have a whole lot of confidence saying that, yes, you should do this in the fall. And this is going to do this is going to result in a reduction in winter kill or or you know cold tolerance or whatever. Um, there's just not enough, you know, research conducted to really have much confidence in those in those, you know, recommendations. Um, so. Let's read through here at least what I highlighted. The root and rhizome weights, but not the yield of Tifton 44 Colstrom Munigrass significantly rose. So this was sort of some of the early stuff, I suppose, on this was more like forage grass Bermuda, where they're actually measuring the yield. That's what they're wanting to, to uh, maximize is the yield. 
when they, they didn't see the yield increase um, and with the application of potassium. When it, uh, so it says in survival to winter exposure was observed when potassium as potassium chloride was applied. So, um, so we saw there was some value there in winter exposure, but the yield didn't change. Let's see. Winter survival of coastal Bermuda grass was favored by a high ratio of applied nitrogen and potassium. And nitrogen of nitrogen at 224 kilograms per hectare, uh, or, or 448 kilograms of nitrogen, 224 kilograms of potassium. So um, this is roughly a two to one in decay. Again, it's forage Bermuda. I, I don't know how much I would relate that to what we do in turf grass, but this was sort of the first. Well, not the first, but it's one of the early 1962 to one sort of in decay, if I'm reading that correctly. Okay, a body of work, both forage grass and turf grass. Now we're going to start moving into turf grass from the 70s found that as potassium, the potassium rate or the ratio of nitrogen potassium increased. Or the ratio of phosphorus potassium decreased winter survival of turf grass improved. So what that's saying is the either the, the, the potassium rate or the ratio of N decay increased. We saw a benefit for winter survival of turf grasses in these, these studies from the 70s. In Bermuda grass, a high ratio of phosphorus to potassium intensified winter kill. So if you're applying a lot more phosphorus in relation to potassium in this particular study, um, and Reeves in 70 found that you would increase winter kill, whereas Bermuda grass grown in soils with low ratios showed little winter kill, winter kill damage. So, you know, this is a whole puzzle where we're trying to piece this thing together without knowing what the jigsaw puzzle even looks like, right? So we're trying to put these pieces together and figure out what's going on. And we see, you know, one study shows um, a two to one in decay in forage Bermuda grass seems to be beneficial. And we see another one, a high ratio of phosphorus compared to potassium seems to be detrimental. So we want to maybe keep the phosphorus lower relative to potassium in, in these particular, uh, studies. So again, it's like flipping over a jigsaw puzzle where you don't see any of the picture and breaking it all up and trying to put it back together. That's kind of where we're at with potassium. There's pieces kind of making sense here and pieces making sense there, but this we don't have so much work done that we can you know, confidently say, this is what the jigsaw puzzle is gonna look like when we flip it over, okay? Other work in this period indicated that fertilizer ratio of four to one to five NPK improved the winter hardiness of tiff green and this is in the 70s as well so here's one where it's more like a one to uh, one to one okay winter kill is often the result of damage caused by desiccation so if you don't know winter kill is often um often occurs when the plant is depleted of of moisture and it dries out and the, and the crown dries out and dies and the the idea is is that the application of potassium in the plant will help uh maintain a higher amount of water in the plant basically so it won't desiccate as quickly which is which is true potassium concentrations in the plant aid in maintaining its water status and may be responsible for improve improvements in winter hardiness however research that supports this hypothesis is not abundant and more recent studies that examine the relationship between potassium and cold hardiness 
have produced produced divergent results. So what that's saying is we don't have a lot of confidence, a lot of work done in this particular area. And the more recent work we work we have, some show it does might have a benefit, some show it might not have a benefit. Um, some actually show it might be detrimental, which is what Dr. Soldat's finding and some guys over in New Jersey are finding as well. In some cases, the application of potassium in excess of what the plant needs is, is detrimental. I'm not going to go into those studies. They're not actually in this. Those were, these studies have been published and found after the fact, after, after this study. Um, but that's, that's what we're finding is that we're not seeing consistent results in the literature, certainly nowhere near to the degree that we have confidence in recommending a lot of these um, high potassium in the fall uh, recommendations. Uh, in greenhouse research, the quality of abrinograss and the content total, total non-structural carbohydrates varied with potassium day length and cultivar. With potassium reducing the TNC under short day conditions, da, 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 Lori did that study in 98. In two studies, I'm assuming this is Grady's study. I don't know. Uh, potassium chloride and potassium sulfate was applied to TIF whey and TIF dwarf at, at these rates. And potassium uh, per growing month in native soil. Da, da, da. Uh, these just explain the study. These rates were applied simultaneously. Da, da, da. In these studies, however, neither cold tolerance, carbohydrate levels, nor turf quality were significantly affected by increasing rates of potassium fertilization beyond that needed for normal turf growth. So I'll have to look this study up. I don't know if I have that on my database. I th if this was Grady's study, then it was done in Florida in 96. And so what, if that's true, I'll have to go look it up. Maybe I can actually pull Miller and Dick. Let me see if I can pull that up real quick. I might have that study. It might be important to know. Let me check Miller. Miller, what year was that? 1996. I, do, I don't have that study sitting here ready to go. But if this is the case where it was in Florida, um, then the, um, the likelihood that the potassium was fairly low, meaning like, you know, 50, 60, 70 parts per million, three, something like that on the lower end, was pretty good. And even with the, when we're applying these potassium rates, we don't see any benefit to applying them is what they found is what these, these authors found. Okay. I shouldn't say any benefit. They actually list the list, the variables they measure carbohydrate levels, turf quality and so forth. Okay. Um, late season applications, October of potassium at, at these rates, this is roughly one pound, roughly two pounds. Maybe I guess that's probably close to three quarters of a pound never affected the fall color or um, the non-structural carbohydrates of hyperbrunia grass. This was done by Mike. I don't know if that was in Virginia or not at the time. Uh, so we don't see any benefit in the fall from that study. Centipede and warm season turf grass prone to winter damage had additional potassium applied in late August for possible prevention of winter kill. During the five year of the test application in late summer, potassium never improved turf quality or shoot density when compared with the standard 140 for 83 kilograms. So in other words, in this study in Johnson, I don't know if that's... Um, I don't know if that's my old fertility uh, professor from Oklahoma State or not. But anyway, um, what this is saying, when you're applying normal amounts, like say oh, this in this case, it's a one to, to oh no, it's like a 
three to one to two or something along these lines or whatever this this ratio is here when you're applying that applying more didn't result in any benefit okay in terms of the uh, turf quality and shoot density in in the johnson 1988 study in contrast with these so we're going to switch to cool season in contrast with these warm season turf grass studies which showed little evidence that additional potassium provided enhanced cold tolerance one research study with cool season turf grass perennial ryegrass did show a benefit. Okay, so for you cool season folks like myself, um, there's one study that did show some benefit. Okay, maximum cold hardiness measured as whole plant survival electrolyte, electrolyte leakage was achieved when moderate nitrogen, this is one to three pounds per year, was applied with medium to high levels of potassium. So this is five to whatever that is seven or eight pounds a year and this was some of scott's work in 2005. okay other research with perennial ryegrass found that winter hardiness expressed the same way of turf grass increased as the potassium rate increased up to this rate so that would be um, seven pounds of, of k if i'm again if i'm doing the math right okay this was published in 93. So there is a study on perennial ryegrass that shows some winter winter uh, hardiness benefit, um, but there's very little at all with warm season grasses. Okay, we just don't see a whole lot there. Wear tolerance is the next area that they talk about. I would say that um, wear tolerance has been studied, and we did some here actually in Lexington, or my colleague was doing some when I when I arrived, and we really don't see much happen with wear tolerance and applying copious amounts of potassium to to increase wear tolerance um, but if we look in the hoffman study tissue potassium and soil available available potassium were not correlated with tolerance okay um the, the application of potassium never affected wear tolerance or recovery from wear and injury i guess this was i don't know if this was in carol and Petrovic's study in 91. I don't have to read through there, but two recent studies have evaluated the effect of nitrogen potassium on the wear tolerance of perennial ryegrass. Five rates were combined, three potassium and shoot, and shoot tissue moisture were wearing tissue. Da, 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 were all measured. Nitrogen most affected the shoot quality in wear. Nitrogen did. Um, but as I said, soil potassium and soil available potassium were not correlated with wear tolerance. So um, it does say when wear, when wear was applied using a differential slip wear machine application of potassium did improve turf recovery. Um, but when wear was simulated using a grooming brush, the wear tolerance decreased as the potassium rate increased. So this is showing the difference between how the wear was actually simulated. Okay, uptake by turf grass. Let's just kind of skip through here a little bit. We're already um, you know, almost 28 minutes in. So when potassium was applied at these rates, uh, to creeping bent grass, the concentration of potassium in the soil solution was positively correlated, as you would expect. Potassium in the leaf tissue range, da 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 da, with no potassium. In spite of the high leachability characteristic, and this is critical, let, let's go. With it. In spite of the high leachability, leachability characteristics of sand based greens, okay, so you're growing grass on sand where there's very little CEC. The concept or the, 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 the concern is that many of the cations will not be retained in the soil. Okay, that's oftentimes what I hear. Soil potassium concentrations established by the potassium fertilization applications persisted for more than seven months after potassium applications okay, ceased. 
potassium application had no beneficial effect on turf grass performance, color, quality, ball roll. So yes, potassium will leach through sand-based greens. Potassium can leach through normal soils. So can any other cation, but it has, it, you, you, you don't want to assume that. The uh, water management program is going to have a great deal of effect on that. So if water is properly managed on the putting greens and you're not flushing water through all the time, then the potassium is not going to move. It's basically going to stay there. Maybe it's not retained on the cations, but it has. in order to be moved through, you have to have enough water to push it through. So if it's properly managed, that might not be a concern. And, and what's what we're finding is that some sands have the ability to release potassium and some sands have the ability to retain potassium but it's it's not as much as clays but some sands are are their parent material or potassium bearing minerals like potassium feldspars for example and those potassium bearing minerals might actually release potassium through uh in in this in the rooting zone so this this can actually be um it should be uh, considered as an addition if you're using those sands in your top dressing mix. So you might not be accounting for, oh, I'm just, I'm just applying sand. I'm not accounting for the potassium in that sand. But based upon the sand that you may be using, you might be applying more than enough potassium with the top dressing. You don't need to apply any more. You can save some money if you are in those conditions. Okay, skip down a little bit. Several studies, Destin Gallard, 2000, I'll go all these through these, but found no relationship between soil test potassium and tissue potassium. So for years, there's several holy grails in turf grass, how to kill Bermuda grass. If we can kill Bermuda grass, that's a holy grail. Growing grass in the shade with no, no issues, that's a holy grail. Some, one of the other ones is correlating soil nutrients with tissue nutrients in turf. Occasionally, you'll find some some correlation, but it's pretty rare, you know. So you, you just don't see a consistent relationship between what's in the exchangeable potassium and what you find in the leaf tissue itself. Okay, so if we can find some magic formula or some uh, model that can accurately predict what's going to be in the leaf and what needs to be in the leaf, then then that that would be a great thing. I would consider that sort of a, a holy grail of, of turf grass. So, um, so Aldo asked the question, do, do root exudates help release K from sands? So keep in mind when I say sands, what I'm talking about is sand are sands that contain potassium bearing minerals. Okay. So a sand like a silicon based sand or calcium based sand, um, it's those aren't going to release the potassium, although so there's no potassium in them to release, really. And there's very, very little. Let's say, you know, one or two or maybe three on the CEC scale. Very little. Okay. What I'm talking about is the release of potassium from minerals that are separate in the sand itself that um, don't exist all the time in your sands, but they can. And in those cases, those the release of K from those minerals is the same release mechanisms as uh, mineral weathering. So water and pH and temperature and so forth. So exudates from the root that fall into those categories, for, for example, lowering the pH. If lowering the pH by the root exudate um, will influence, say, this particular mineral's release of their element, then yes, the, the release of that um 
root exudate would enhance that. But the root exudate of chelation probably wouldn't. I haven't seen any evidence or literature on that. But it, when you're dealing with chelation, that's the um, essentially that's um, rendering the element that's in solution soluble or maintaining solubility. Well, with potassium binary minerals, it's not soluble yet. It hasn't been released yet. It's in the mineral itself. So I wouldn't think the exud exudation of phytosterophores or chelating compounds from the roots would have much of an effect on that. But, you know, I could be wrong. I haven't seen much literature on that. Uh, let's see. Keep going through here. We're trying to get through here. I have a... Uh, <laughs> I, I just jumped on here to get this through. And I'm going to see if I can get it done before I got to go. Plant uptake, uh, plant uptake of potassium, interaction with other nutrients... So basically, I'm going to sum this whole thing up by saying when you're applying any element, any cation for sure, um, you need to be aware of how it influences other elements, particularly potassium, calcium, magnesium. So when you're going to apply a lot of potassium, it better be because there is a need for it. Like the plant itself is deficient or it's not growing at the rate you want it to as a result of deficient potassium. Because if it's not and you're applying excess, excess potassium, it's going to alter the uptake of other elements like calcium and magnesium. I, I personally don't know of much evidence to really, you know, convince me to be concerned about that too much because there's so much potassium. I'm sorry, so much calcium in the in the solution. It, it's it's unlikely that you would ever have a calcium deficiency. And probably the same thing to some degree with magnesium. Um, but you're you're changing what's what's available to the plant, and it may be needed in some cases. But if it's not needed, don't mess with it. <laughs> That's basically the take-home message. You know, don't screw around with how the how the elements are already being consumed by the plant because you're going to throw a bunch of calcium out there. You're going to reduce the probability of uptaking potassium. You're going to throw a bunch of potassium out there. You're going to reduce the probability of uptaking magnesium. It just you're you're flooding the system with um, with an element. If it's needed, then great. But if it's not needed, don't do it. Okay, when nitrogen, potassium, and phosphorus were applied at varying rates in 30 different ratios, da 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 da, uh, the color, growth, and density of perennial ryegrass improved as nitrogen rate rose. But there was no, let's see right here, there was no response to increased potassium or phosphorus in these, in these two, this study here, the 93 study. Fertilizer, and I just highlight this whole thing because the whole paragraph is important. Fertilizers applied at a ratio of 91K and PK best promoted a growth in winter quality. We already talked about that. Uh, in this particular study, when four nitrogen potassium ratios were examined, high nitrogen, high potassium, and it goes through the ratios, there were no measurable differences in tissue, phosphorus, potassium, calcium, magnesium, blah, 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 between the treatments. And only the tissue nitrogen increased as nitrogen increased. Tissue potassium was usually low, regardless of the potassium rate. And this is in the Crimin 98 study. Okay. So nitrogen is a completely different element where we apply more, we see more go in and we see the growth go up, but it doesn't work that way with many other elements, potassium, particularly, we almost never see a response, beneficial response to potassium. Okay. So applying these copious amounts of potassium in the fall to winterize your turf is mostly smoke and mirrors. It's mostly marketing. It's not well supported by the literature, although there's clearly examples where in some situations you may see a benefit. Okay, uh, but those are, you know, again, those are hit and miss. You want to be aware of all the literature, not just one study that said it did it. Okay, you might find five studies that says it doesn't do it. Okay, so please be aware of that. Okay, we're going to skip down quite a bit because we got to, we got to, unfortunately, I got to get 
going quicker. As the level of potassium fertilizer increased, less nitrogen was needed to obtain the best quality. This was done by Nick in 79. Inter interactions between nitrogen and potassium have been found in other work where shoot growth and root growth was greatest at the highest rates of nitrogen and potassium. This was done by Lori. Conversely, in two years of saw production and research, on, to, research although, there was only one date on which there was a significant interaction of nitrogen and potassium fertilization, percent of color, cover. And potassium fertilization alone never affected the percentage of cover, turf quality, clipping weight, or sod shear strength. This was by John in 92, and this was, I'm assuming, done in Florida, where the potassium, we're dealing with sands, and the potassium levels are low. And even under those conditions, potassium fertilization had very little benefit, very little effect. Okay. During five years, application of potassium fertilizer had no effect on the visual quality of creeping bent grass, and there was only one year in which there was a significant interaction of phosphorus and potassium, and this was in the Fry 89. Okay. Um, so we do see in other work on the phosphorus and potassium quality of creeping bent grass improved with increasing rates of, of fertilization of phosphorus but not when we saw it with uh, potassium to any great extent. It goes through the environmental fate of potassium. I wouldn't uh, worry about that too much in terms of environmental concern, but certainly a loss of economic, economic loss is a concern. We don't want to be putting out um, a lot of potassium. We put out you know three pounds of potassium at some crazy rate, thinking that where I'm going to get a lot of response to it. No, a lot of that is going to be lost. It's going to, it can move. Um, and you don't need to be putting out more than the, the most efficient amount that you would need to get the response and what that is i have no clue because it's so rare to see a response to potassium we do have studies which i'm going to get to in a minute where we're talking about the ratio of n decay here in a second we're going to ask fertilized with potassium chloride so this is going to be talking about the difference between chloride and sulfate a lot of times they say i want to use potassium sulfate i got to use potassium sulfate because it has a low burn potential da, da, da. but when you look at the literature it's very rare that you ever see a difference between these two. I, I, there's a safety factor involved when it comes to sulfate. If you screw up and you 10x it or something, then yes, you're going to be more safe with sulfate than chloride. But under appropriate applications, the chloride and versus the sulfate, we almost never see a difference between these two. Um, sometimes we do. I would argue that today, if you do, I would want to check the sulfur content of your soil because you may see that it's not from the potassium. It's probably from the sulfur, sulfate. Um, Sartain did see a difference, but he actually um, applied ammonium sulfate to, to counterbalance the sulfate. So um, this study, seven, the 2002 Sartain study, where we saw chloride be um, better than sulfate, it, that might be skewed um, because of the way in which the author did that study. And he note, he, he acknowledges that. Uh, Miller and Dickens used both sulfate and chloride in the Bermuda grass cold tolerance study and found that in loamy sand soil, the source of potassium was not significant for spring growth, kill, killing temperatures, or greenhouse regrowth of Bermuda grass. Okay, so we didn't see a difference there. The follow-up study that was also that also evaluated sulfate and potassium chloride on potassium sources found no differences in tissue or soil potassium due to potassium source. So here's a study in '99 that were, there were no differences between these sources. Okay, chloride is much less expensive than sulfate, so we I would recommend using that um, if if finances is finances is a concern. If you're using potassium sulfate, um, and I would I would say you need a good reason, and the reason would be you have a sulfate deficiency, or you have you know applicators who you can't trust or whatever who might make a mistake and 
just dump a ton out there and you might burn it. Well, in that case, sulfate might be the better choice. But, um, you know, this 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 notion that sulfate is always better and I have to use sulfate is not really supported by by what we found in the literature okay when potassium chloride and potassium sulfate sources were compared with resin potassium da, 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 sulfate green turf harvested from control release treatments contained significantly more clippings three months after fertilization so this is john and and george down in um, south florida in 92 where they were looking at coated potassium sources and they did find that some of the coated potassium sources resulted in better better let's see clipping let's see for uh, more clippings than than um, the non-coated, um, this whole idea of coated, coated potassium, I think is a little bit, um, I get a little bit of marketing. I do know there was some Michigan state work done where we saw increased potassium in the tissue from slow release case sources. Um, but when you're dealing with an element that has very little chance of ever seeing a, a beneficial response at all, coating it with an expensive plastic and putting it out there, will you see a beneficial response to that i don't don't know i i suspect the answer is probably it's probably pretty limited what response you would see uh, if any but just keep in mind you know potassium itself is rarely 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 results in a response a beneficial response in fact, at this point, we're probably seeing just as many negative responses ever seeing positive responses, particularly on cool season grasses. So um, just be mindful that um, potassium, there is evidence to support the use of potassium in some situations, but there's equal evidence to omit the use of potassium. Uh, you know, so you, you, it's a case by case situation. You got to be mindful of that. So let's read through the future research and we'll close this thing off. Although the issue has been studied in forage and turf grass systems for more than 90 years, the effect of potassium fertilization on winter kill of forage and turf grasses is still debated with diverse results in the published literature. So if you ever have a, a, anybody come in and want to sell you or convince you to apply potassium as a winter kill, you know, protectant, just have confidence that this is in no way agreed upon by the science scientists in the, on this topic okay there's studies that show it may there's studies that show it may not okay but to to have that as a benchmark best management practice is certainly um ignoring the entirety of the literature okay since the application of potassium fertilization to prevent winter kill is often used in turf grass management as a marketing tool to sell additional potassium, resolution of this issue in the turf grass literature for both cool and warm season grasses is needed. I completely agree with, with both Beth and Frank on this. We don't know. So if we don't know, <laughs> we, we, we can't you know, draw a line in the sand and say, yes, do this. Okay, yes, the chances are good that you're going to see a beneficial response to this. We can't say that. So I, I don't know how anybody else is saying that, you know, whatever they may be, marketing or other professors or however. Just be aware that this is one of the most exhaustive uh, literature views on potassium in turf grass science. And this is the conclusion that they're finding. We need more work to really have much confidence in supporting the use of potassium in the fall to reduce winter kill risk, basically.
Okay. Relationship between extractant soil potassium, potassium fertilization rates, and turf grass response needs additional studies. So basically this is saying soil testing with potassium needs more work. We don't have a lot of confidence in knowing that the soil potassium is X. Therefore, you should apply this much potassium and you're going to see this much response. There is very little, if any, support of that, that approach. Oh, my soil potassium is 30. So I should apply, you know, a pound of K and I'm going to see this result. You know, that might actually happen, but it might not. We don't know. Okay. We, we, it, it's, it's just, there's just not enough research conducted to really have that. And I know a lot of these papers say, oh, future research is needed. At the end of every article you say, oh, we need to do more. Re That's pretty ubiquitous in the literature. But in this particular case, <laughs> it's absolutely true. We, we just don't know. Okay, so so be very careful. Last thing I'll go on. While while not posing an environmental risk, this possible loss of potassium, leaching and runoff and so forth, is an economic loss. Okay. So when you're when you're out there and you're buying fertilizer, you're buying potassium, you're applying it, especially if you're the one buying it, I want to talk to you all because you all have your finger on the pulse of your your profitability. Okay have a good reason to include potassium it better not be because you know you're going to increase winter kill could could not who knows it better not be because your soil test said you're you know you needed to apply potassium probably not much evidence to support that have a good reason okay because you're wasting your money if you're applying potassium in cases when you don't need to all right that's really the the driving force behind all fertility applications but with potassium where we see very few instances where the application results in a benefit we we want to keep that in the forefront of our mind hey can i go out i'm using a you know whatever 2020 uh, can i do do with just a 2100 try it can i do it with a 4600 try it for a round two rounds and see if you see any reduction in in your quality you know or your you know changes in your turf grass or do a, do a study, you know, don't do just one rep or whatever, if you can try to do it accurately. But, um, you know, the chances are pretty good that the reduction or elimination of potassium will not result in any concomitant reduction in turf quality or performance. And by definition, you're reducing a resource you're using, you're going to be reducing your costs and increasing your profits. So I'm going to leave you with that today. Um, last week I'm having, I'm still having problems with this whole thing. I'm trying to figure out how to, how to stream and do all this stuff. I'm, I'm not very good at this, but I'm learning. <laughs> so you have to bear with me. Um, I don't know exactly how often I'm going to stream. It's right now. It's just going to be whenever I feel like it. It's usually in the morning before noon, Eastern time. It's usually for 30 minutes to an hour. I'll try to get them shorter if I can, but, um, but th that's, I don't know where this is going to be frank. I'm just, I'm just having fun posting these things and hopefully you find it useful if you do find it useful, leave something in the chat. Tell me what you want to do, and, and tell me some, send me some articles or you know some curiosity you might have in some literature that you might not be able to explain or don't understand or whatever. And if I can help you, I'll be glad to do so. So until then, I'll probably come back on Tuesday. We have a holiday on Monday, maybe Tuesday or Wednesday next week in the morning. I'll probably come back and and um, see what else I can find. Appreciate everybody. See you next time.